Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Well, many of you have heard that I was allegedly banned from the Museum of Natural History. I did get a waiver to attend an event there, but uh, that is, believe it or not, these days only the second biggest controversy that the American Museum of Natural History is involved in. I don't know if you knew this. Maybe some of you did. Most of you are much smarter than I did, than I am. New York's American Museum of Natural History holds the remains of about 12,000 people. And the museum is removing human remains from public display, and they are reviewing its repatriation process. So the museum has the skeletal remains of maybe 12,000 individuals. Some of these come from medical schools. Some of these were uh, reportedly stolen from sacred burial sites or donated by looters at the turn of the last century. And someone who is a real expert on this is Elizabeth Weiss. She is a professor of anthropology and author of the book Repatriation and Erasing the Past. Dr. Weiss, it's great to talk with you again. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me on. So, uh, Dr. Weiss, give us the uh, kind of the Reader's Digest version of why the Natural History Museum is doing this. Why have are they making this sudden change after going so many years uh, while having these remains? Well, in general, they're basically saying that it's not now ethically appropriate to show or display skeletal remains and making a, a statement that they're taking a different approach by um, consulting with uh, groups, tribes that may be related to those remains, may not be related, but may be related to those remains, and taking into consideration other um, stakeholders or other people's perspective on how skeletal remains should be treated. In addition, also they're focusing on past historical imbalances of power and saying the people whose bodies are on display or in, or in storage were people who did not have power and therefore they're rebalancing this power now, even though these people are dead. I read one article where, and so what's your view of this? Uh, is this a good idea? Is this a bad idea? And why? I think it's a terrible idea for a couple reasons. And I'll, t- I'll first talk um, about the display cases. Um, I was just at the museum. There's still um, the, some of these remains are still on display. They're in the process of removing them. So if you want to see them, go quickly. <laughs> Um, and it's quite interesting that, you know, there's a there's really a big difference between looking at a cast or a model 
or the real thing. It sparks the imagination in a way that just a plastic model or cast doesn't. Um, the other interesting aspect of it is that the, some of the remains are were turned into instruments in a previous um, in the culture that they were from. This is interesting because it suggests to us that the narrative that the only way to properly take care of remains is to bury them is not true now. It wasn't true in the past, and it's not what is not a universal. And so I think that this shows us really the vast um, variation, human variation on what people think about the dead and about what happens when people die and so forth. And that shouldn't be covered up for politically sensitive reasons of modern U.S. politics or um, so. But the other aspect is the collection. So the, the you know, what 12,000 remains. These are a re vast resource for understanding past peoples, reconstructing the past, but also to use for forensic studies to try to understand um, how to better determine uh, the age of an individual, the, the sex of an individual, and use it in an applied manner that can help modern, modern living people um, who's perhaps whose loved ones have died and they're trying to solve a crime, a forensic anthropologist, for example. Erin Thompson um, was speaking to NPR and uh, she talked about, um, in, she'd been investigating the museum's human remains for a long time. She's a professor of art crime at John Jay College here in New York City. And she said she spoke to a man from Tanzania whose grandfather is held in the museum, his entire skeleton. Apparently, the grandfather was executed by German colonial authorities in 1910 for resisting their rule. His body was shipped to Berlin, studied there, and came into the collection of a German anthropolo uh, anthropologist who ended up selling his collection of 5,000 skulls and 200 skeletons to the Natural History Museum in 1924. So this man's family has been looking for his body for more than 100 years, and it turns out it's been on the Upper West Side for most of that time. Why shouldn't that gentleman be able to get his grandfather's remains back and make whatever arrangements that he thinks are respectful for his family? I would say that these single cases of families who are have clear um, links to a single individual where the individual's name was even known, for example, um, I would say you can make the exception with the, those kinds of cases um, that there may have and make that repatriation. Another one that I can think of that is similar is um, the move bombing, um, the 1985 move bombing and the, re um, the removal of those bones from Philadelphia, from University of Pennsylvania, to the family of the children who, were, who died in that 1985 move bombing. So I could see where if there is a clear fam familial, not, not ancestral, where it might be 
where the lines become mm-hmm. very fuzzy, but where there is a clear familial relationship, I would say this is a case where you could say let's let's do the repatriation, and you do not lose as much. You're not losing a whole collection. Right. You're losing a, a single individual. I, I guess one of the other, and if people are just tuning in, we're talking with uh, Elizabeth Weiss. She's a professor of anthropology and the author of the book Repatriation and Erasing the Past. One question that I think those of us that are not anthropologists is going to have is you alluded to the difference in viewing actual human remains, actual human skeletons versus a, uh, a facsimile, a copy, whether it's made from plastic or whatever it might end up being made from, and why actual human remains spur the imagination more than fake human skeletons and things of that nature. Why? Why does an actual skeleton do a better job educating someone or spurring the imagination than a fake skeleton? I think that what we see when we see the real thing is the details, um, the pores on the bones, for example, or the shininess of a joint that is um, that has arthritis on it. These things are very difficult to mimic in fakes. And I think that this actually brings the humanity of that individual, in a sense, to light in a way that just a cast could not. It also, I think, sparks the imagination, especially of young individuals who notice, who might notice these fine differences and realize that they have an eye for anatomy and Mm. an eye for these variations that would lead them maybe to a career as an archeologist or as a forensic anthropologist. And I think that these things are lost when we just have casts. Yeah, well, I mean, that's very compelling. I can't can't disagree with that. When um, for those that we don't know, um, obviously the case of that Tanzanian man is is very specific. But for the remains that came from medical schools, for instance, or that uh, may not have a direct place to go. What is the American Museum of Natural History going to do with these thousands of remains? As I read their, um, their basically their protocol for repatriation and for, preser- and for curation, is that they plan to um, basically try to repatriate or to bury as many as possible. Um, but in the meantime, having very strict regulations of who can access those collections, including um, a, a requirement that um, when it comes to, for example, Native American collections, that um, there's much consultation done with um, possible ancestral tribes, or, or I should say descendant tribes, so the moder- possible modern links. And this in of itself is a problem because many of these modern tribes will have uh, rules or will have um, requirements that you can't study certain things because it will conflict with their religious beliefs, with their origin myths. And so you're really shaping science in a way that is narrow and not 
stepping on anyone's toes to speak, uh, so to speak. And this is not how science is supposed to be done. Right. Well, it makes you're you're exactly right from my my perspective. One of the things that I've also heard from other anthropologists is that there's some real value in looking at the actual remains of folks. Ashley Hammond, who's another uh, very well-respected anthropologist, talked about a review of uh, 81 people at the Cleveland Museum of Natural History that was done to better understand the mortality rates of the 1918 flu. They compared those remains with others who died before the pandemic, and they found that bones of the sick were frailer, which indicates that those who were chronically ill had a greater chance of dying from the disease. I would think that's a a level of uh, education and medical science research that we're going to be missing out on with this new policy. Absolutely. And I I did read that study, and when it came out, it was a fascinating study. What we sometimes fail to realize is that studying the past is not just interesting because we're interested in how people's past lives were, but it enables us to better understand humans in general, humanity and human biology in general, and therefore helps us find solutions to the present. And, you know, the most obvious example is in forensic anthropologists. But when we look at other aspects like medical um, research, we look at um, patterns of bone loss to see what causes bone loss and therefore um, fractures. And we can see that the patterns change depending on the culture and that helps us make better decisions now. Uh, Same with things like arthritis patterns. So having a long range idea, uh, knowledge of what kind of diseases occurred and in what patterns helps us understand the present medical situation as well. And just finally, if you can reiterate the objection that some people have to this based on um, racial issues, Uh, you you alluded to the dichotomy of, of power and a lot of the rationale for this seems to be that uh, they rob the graves either directly or indirectly of indigenous folks and black people who made it might've been slaves. What right does this museum have to have these skeletons on display like, um, you know, like a museum piece. Why should someone who didn't have any say in the matter have their bones up there? Is there a a racial element to this that uh, maybe we're overlooking? I think that um, there's a focus on the remains that have been um, obtained through excavation of graves, for example, or through archaeological excavation. Sometimes these were done in ways that were not as ethical as we would do them now, but we should not judge past actions by um, by our present standards. Um, just because we would not do it now doesn't mean that sure. it wasn't considered yeah. standard practice in the past. But the most vulnerable populations that have been um, excavated and studied are the ones who 
we also knew the least about from the written record. So we're reconstructing the past in a way to better understand these people in a way that we could not do um, without these skeletal remains. And that shows not only their hardships, but their resilience. Hmm. And this is something that I think actually serves humanity's purpose. Well, Elizabeth, I must say you've uh, you've convinced me. I, I appreciate you taking the time to chat uh, this morning. And um, next time we've got to do this with you in studio, okay? Absolutely. Elizabeth Weiss, uh, she is the author of the book Repatriation and Erasing the Past, also a very well-respected professor of anthropology. You want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.